0: This sermon is based on the reading Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading is from Mark chapter 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized? They said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this is the word of the lord grace mercy
1: and peace be to you from god our father and our lord and savior jesus christ please be seated so um It always turns out, I guess, while I'm here, that I'm going to like change what I'm going to be talking about in the sermon the night before, usually the day before. This time, God had it that it would be the night before, but I was watching the Olympics. I forgot that the Olympics were happening. It's kind of weird, like there's 2020 on everything, like all the branding in the background is there, I guess we're getting one gold medal, uh, but anyways... Um, What was cool was, it's nostalgic to see the swimming happening. They began to do some swimming events last night, and it was like uh, all these awesome memories of camaraderie and friendship and teamwork. They all came flooding back to me uh, as I watched the swimmers. And um, I don't know, it's not always the most fun time to go to a swim meet if you're not swimming. But if you are, it's different. And it's a lot of fun. But what was cool was seeing all of the swimmers, whether it be like a promo or a commercial or whatever, an interview, or just when they were um, doing the little interviews by the poolside, they always would mention uh, Michael Phelps. And they would mention Michael Phelps in a way where it was like, Yes, Michael Phelps, he's the best. He's the greatest. No one's going to be like Michael Phelps ever again. Or no one's going to be Michael Phelps ever again. He did what he did. He won all those medals. We can all remember that with all the... He was wearing them all at one time. But I want to be like Michael Phelps. I want to swim like Michael Phelps. I want to wear his branded goggles and swimsuits and swim caps. I want to eat... Like, does anyone ever remember, like, his diet? He would eat, like, 10,000 calories a day. Something crazy. Like, maybe some of us could match that. But uh, it's hard to match the physical exercise he was doing to earn those calories. But it was just so interesting to watch them give the glory and the honor to Michael Phelps that no one will ever be him again but I would like to be seated in glory with him and maybe be like number two or number three or I don't know, I just want to be on the Nike commercial next to him. Something like that. And I think it's easy to be tempted to like superimpose that onto James and John today. Um, You know, like for some reason it's, I guess I was blessed by Jesus to kind of get the the same kind of, um, like, headspace of James and John, because I only have one other sibling, and he's an older brother, so my brother Matt is like a James to my John, uh, if you will. Um, Christ encourages us to find heroes in the faith and to follow after them, but It's easy to read what James and John did today to ask for seats in Jesus's glory on his right and his left to think like, oh, they're just, they're in it to, they're they're like those, they're like the swimmers. They want to be basking in the glory of a great person, knowing that they'll never be that great person. But, you know, if we're going to read it faithfully, I don't know if that's how it is. I think... It's more so in the positive construction of kind of what I was saying with those swimmers. I think it's more like James and John, they were raised in a community of faith in a time and place where the best of the best, God's chosen and anointed, were these priests, these Sadducees, these Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, these people that, um, uh, what's the, uh, uh, if I was a rich man, I would study the Torah all day long, right? Um, But like we learned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, those people that God had left behind to fill his place as shepherd, leader, and father to these people didn't always cut the mustard. I haven't said that in like 10 years. Um, And So they ask for glory to Jesus. They ask or not, they don't ask for glory, they ask to be seated in Jesus' glory. It's still Jesus' glory. Just let us, you know, let us be in the icon when Russians start, you know, painting pictures of what we're doing on gold leaflets. Uh, or I don't know, a sixteenth-century reformer does a carving or etching of us. Let us be seated next to you. And Jesus, of course, he says. You don't know what you're asking for. I can give you what you want, whatever you ask in my name, and which I believe is why they ask. Because obviously, if Jesus is doing these amazing things and he's saying things like, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you, you believe him, right? Because you're a faithful apostle. Jesus says... Like, he says it twice. Do you remember that? And he says the baptism thing three times. A lot of people like to read in the whole Trinitarian aspect of baptism, when Jesus repeats baptism three times in the sentence twice. He says, do you think you can be baptized with the baptism, which I was baptized with? Very strange, very weird to look at it in Greek, too. But the thing is, it's, it's kind of like um, um, when... I don't know, I don't know. Like our, our, one time I took a class taught by a rabbi and he said, whenever someone asks to be Jewish, I say no three times. And if they ask again, then I say okay. It's like, Jesus is like, I, you, you really don't know what you're asking for. Are you sure? Are you sure? And they're like, yes, yes. You know, we see this repeated a million times in the gospel. Yes, I can drink the cup you're going to drink. Yes, I'm going to be faithful to the end. Yada, yada, yada. It all goes out the window. They all desert him. He's left alone to suffer and die. Well, today, the church commemorates the fulfillment of Christ's prophecy about James. Um, when James is killed by Herod's sword. It's, it's really tough. It's tough to read. Um You see that James ends up drinking Christ's cup of lonely suffering and death. When his head is cut off in front of, I guess, I don't know, a crowd in the streets. And everyone rejoices. And he's baptized with the baptism with Jesus is baptized with. When he takes on the sin of all those terrible people in that one instance in time. And he's killed because he's doing what and saying what people don't want to hear. And in this way, he is the first apostle to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ, as we read in the Romans reading. And never forget that it pleased those in authority when James was killed for the gospel's sake. It pleased them. Well, we live in a world that is strange and terrible and gross like that today. Um, We are all, and this is going to be a common theme, because it's a common theme in the scriptures, especially in Acts and in the traditions that follow the New Testament, when these faithful people go and die for their Savior. Um, We live in this strange world where people rejoice and are glad to see Beautiful things be corrupted and destroyed. People love it. They love to see an institution that was touted by all to be perfect and great and loving and whatever be burned to the ground, whether it be literally, I don't know, with Notre Dame Cathedral or all of the church burnings that are happening in the Scandinavian countries. Or just burned to the ground in, uh, in spirit when people speak poorly of it. I mean, it's one thing when the person being, like, canceled, we're calling it now. Um, they used to call it getting martyred. But you're only getting martyred when you're doing so for Jesus Christ. Because it's one thing when the person actually is a disgusting pig. And it's good and it's justice when what happens in the dark comes to light. But it's another thing when it's a faithful, good Christian man or woman practicing their leadership and headship or practicing their supporting role for Jesus Christ and people tear them down and they try to get people like you to support them to nod your heads and to say yeah keep on doing it <sighs> but i guess just never forget that next it, it could be you it could be your child it could be your grandchild it could be your coworker and it will be your chance To show that you are a follower of Jesus when that happens. When you are asked to follow Jesus to his suffering and his death. Because um, Kathy, actually, she read today in the Romans reading. You know, Paul was seeing all this happening. this, This canceling and then the death of the beloved Christians and the martyrs. And he said, you know what? We're living in fulfilled prophecy. Don't you remember when it was written? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So that's the bad thing, guys. Yes, you're sheep. We're all sheep of Jesus' flock. And that's a good thing. We're being guided by a good shepherd, Jesus. But... Sheep are slaughtered. Sheep not only are sheared for their wool; they are slaughtered, whether it be for, uh, you know, the Passover dinner, which no longer exists, but you know we can still buy lamb and sheep at the grocery store or for a sacrificial purpose, and. We know from the book of Revelation that the sacrifice that the martyrs make as sheep of God's flock, those go up as a thanksgiving offering and worship and praise to Jesus Christ. But I think what this ought to point us to, this fulfillment of the prophecy, is the call of all Christians to follow not only Jesus, but also John the Baptist, James, Peter, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all sorts of Christians who are taken captive, imprisoned, and killed for the message of Jesus Christ to follow their example of suffering. And James's martyrdom itself has a special spot in my heart when I read it. When I, you know, sometimes when you're reading through Acts, you just got to get through the story, but I always pause and Think about, you know, my brother, my older brother, like I was saying, the James and John connection. My older brother is a pastor, too. What would I do? How would I respond if I was to learn that my brother had been killed in a humiliating way in front of crowds of people as a joke in a frivolous way for the sake of Jesus Christ? And his gospel. How would I react? Would it strengthen my faith? Or would I throw in the towel? Would I drive by, you know, there's a Taco Bell by my house that I run to. And they have a sign and say, man, they're hiring. And $15 an hour doesn't sound that bad right now. If it means that I can just go in, serve my time, and then retire And live peaceably. But obviously it's not what I'm called to do. And you'll see a remembrance of that calling publicly today at 2 o'clock in my installation. When I'm called to, to death, preach, teach, and shepherd you all. And then be held accountable on the last day to Jesus for your souls. And let's not forget either the thousands who remain in prison today for the sake of Jesus Christ as we're reminded to do in our first reading when Peter was imprisoned and the only thing it says that was keeping him in the faith and sustained and strengthened was the prayers of the Christians as he suffered there in prison. Let's never forget that as we return to Romans, in these things, in suffering, in death, we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus Christ. Because we can't forget that Jesus' death and suffering is unique. He alone is baptized with our sin, He alone drinks the cup of God's wrath. We can do stuff like that, but none of our suffering, none of the understanding that we might achieve helps us in any way because Jesus bore it all. He bore it all. He was baptized with the sin of the whole world. And he took, he took that sin, went to the cross, through the suffering, through the mocking and the lies... And then he watches his closest friends that had made these oaths concerning being faithful to him to the end drop away one by one like flies. And then finally, his father, God in heaven, forsook him and left him be to die alone, complete for us. Jesus himself bore the burden for us. But he allows us to give up our suffering for him to carry and bear, sometimes with us and sometimes him alone. And so what does Jesus reframe for us in our head in the gospel reading today after what is seen as a goofy request by James and John? Jesus reframes how things ought to go. He talks about authority and leadership. He says, you know, those guys, they, they lorded over their people, their authority. But I'm here to tell you that the Son of Man came to serve, not be served. And you guys should imitate me. You need to become slave to all. And what does it mean to become slave to all? It's actually really simple. You probably have gotten this iron into your heads From all the pastors that have served you, whether they be vacancy, uh, formally called, or filling in for the weekend. You are called, though you are free as a Christian, you are called to be the slave of all people. Your friends, your family, your little kids, your wife, your husband, your worst enemies. People that you hate and people that hate you you are called to be their servants. If you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a father, you are called to sacrificially live your life for your wife and your kids. If you are a wife, you are sacrificial, You're called to sacrificially be a servant, a helper for your husband, and a mother to your children. If you're a child, no matter what age you are, You are called to honor your mother and your father. And that changes as you grow older, but you are called to honor them and to serve them. Are you a citizen? Do what's demanded of you. Are you a business owner? You are called to be fair, to be forgiving, and to be gracious, even when no one else is doing that. But never forget that Jesus alone is the Son of Man, who came to give his life as a ransom for many. You cannot offer your life in place of the world's sins like Jesus could. You cannot offer your life in replace of faith in your child or grandchild, your friend, your neighbor. But do not be afraid To, as Jesus commands you, become enslaved to all people and to serve them according to their need. Because what is it to us if Christ is the one who died, even more than that, who was raised, who is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us? What is all that suffering? Or when authorities in your life are pleased and they laugh and they joke about what you do here on Sunday mornings. And they say, I can't believe you still go to that if you could just watch it online, if you could just watch a message later in the week on YouTube. Why do you waste your time? Why don't you go to breakfast with your family? Why don't you walk around the Arboretum with your family? That's a better time. That's a better use of your time. Will that separate you from the love of God? What will your choice be? Well, for us Christians, Paul writes, to those who are undergoing suffering, nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in his Son in a specific way, through death on the cross and rising again for you. It was the same case for James, whose head was separated from his body, though his soul was not separated from Jesus Christ, the Savior. And the same is true for you. May the love of Christ guard your hearts and your minds and the hearts of your family, your children, your friends, And may Christ be present eternally, even with your enemies, as you heap burning coals of forgiveness on their
0: heads. In his name, amen.